and welcome along to another Glow West live panel with a packed audience. We are delighted to be chatting tonight on the topic of sex in modern Ireland as we hopefully come out of lockdown soon and start having a lot more sex because some of us haven't been too successful in lockdown sex. Our panel tonight is kindly sponsored by the wonderful Hanks who make incredible body safe lube and vegan condoms and you can find them online or in boots. Audience members tonight can win some of those fab goodies, so stay tuned and ask your questions. That helps you um, win some prizes. We have a ton of questions already sent in, and our audience members can send them in through the recording, direct to us, or via the Q&A function. So let's get cracking. Um, I have a fab panel tonight to answer all these questions. Um, first up, well, in no particular order, I have Grace Alice O'Shea, who has been a sex and relationship educator for over five years. She originally trained as an occupational therapist at UCC before completing her MA in health promotion at NUI Galway. She's particularly interested in the psychological, sociological and political aspects of sex, sexuality and sexual health. Much of her education work focuses on sexual consent, communication, autonomy, pleasure, stigma, how we learn and talk about sex and how people relate to themselves and each other as sexual beings. Grace, thanks Mel for coming along. How are you keeping? Good. Thank you for having me. And sorry, my bio is so long. <laughs> I'm such a chatterbox. I'm so bad at um, what's the you're word? Uh, talking succinctly, but I, I'll try my best. <laughs> You'll get there. You're you're all good. Um, and then next up, we have Jason Pope, who is a pure baby, 21 years old, a social policy <laughs> student in ECD. He's been involved in trans youth activism since he came out seven years ago through Belong to Youth Services, the LGBTI plus national youth strategy and UCD's LGBT plus Q Society. And Jay, how are you keeping tonight? I'm doing good. I'm I'm just pure vibing. Uh, I always find it very funny when I go to something like this and everybody's like, well, Jay's a baby. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll take this. I'll live. I'll survive. Yeah. Hold on I'll, to I'll that. take this as a compliment. Yeah, because like, yeah, that gets sad when people stop calling you that. So you're like, oh, am I middle-aged now? Okay. <laughs> so yeah, hold on to that for a while. Um, and then next up, we have Dr. Nicola Fox Hamilton, who is a cyber psychology researcher who's published several papers and book chapters in the area of cyber psychology, online dating and relationships online. She lectures in cyber psychology and applied psychology in IEADT in Dunleary. Nicola, how are you tonight? I'm very well, thanks. Delighted to be here. Fabulous. And if anyone's watching, Nicola is the one with the wonderful pink hair that I'm very jealous of. Super fab. <laughs> and last but no means least, we have Fidelia Idalco, who is a psychosexual and relationship therapist with a specialty in sexual dysfunction and relationship matters. She's a fully accredited member of the College of Sexual and Relationship Therapists in London. Fidelia lives in Dundalk, Ireland, where she offers a confidential and non-judgmental service to adults irrespective of gender, race, religion or sexual orientation. Fidelia, how are you keeping? I'm feeling good, warming up for today, see what they throw at me. I'm ready to like bounce back. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready with the sex knowledge, throw it in. <laughs> we get there. And um, we were meant to have um, Philomena as well. Unfortunately, she had to pull out um, this afternoon, but hopefully we'll get to chat to her um, down the line in a different podcast. So we had an absolute ton of questions coming in tonight. Um, no pun intended. So we're always like trying to get around, around the puns and stuff like that. I suppose we might start with, um, uh, let me think. I'm, I'm actually like 
overwhelmed with questions. So the first one, I suppose, is about communication. Um, and this person says, I know it's really important, but I just struggle with it as I feel really, really shy. How do I get more confident? And actually, as the talker of the group, I'll go to Grace first on that one there. Oh, sugar, I shouldn't have said that. I set myself up for that. <laughs> yeah. um, that's a really, really genuinely good question. A very common question. We're always, always harping on about communication, aren't we, as sex educators and therapists and everything. And for good reason. But, you know, it doesn't come naturally for a lot of people. And we're not born knowing exactly how to communicate our needs, our wants, our desires. And especially in Ireland, we live in a in a society that, you know, well, I suppose across the world, we live in a quite a sexualized society, you know, sex cells, we see it everywhere. But in Ireland, we still struggle to actually have authentic, authentic conversations about it. So um, you're absolutely not alone in that. I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think of building confidence is or building sexual confidence is actually just building confidence overall. Um, so I suppose building confidence as a person on a kind of broader level and then applying that to, say, sexual or relationship situations. And with confidence, I think, you know, there is no one thing I could suggest or one thing I could say that will you know work for everyone it's kind of about finding what works for you but it is it is a skill you can actually grow it you can learn to be more confident you know confidence isn't something that some people just have and some people don't it's it's not that simple um one thing even myself I actually worked with a confidence coach for a few months and I know not everyone has the luxury of doing that but it was something I invested in for myself and I found it very transformative and some of the learning from that was about um, I suppose learning to take little risks and I know the word risk can be like you know that can make us have a bad reaction like oh that sounds scary but if you've ever heard of the book um you might have feel the fear and do it anyway. It's been around a long time. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, when, I, when I'm recommending a book, I'm not recommending every single page and everything that's in it, but it's kind of take what you need and leave the rest. And from that book, I found one of the really, really important parts where um, broadening your comfort zone and how we can do that is committing every single day to taking a little risk, just a little one, nothing that's going to put you, you know, obviously in harm's way or that's terrifying just little ones it could be something like um if we were out in a restaurant um asking the waiter for I don't know maybe I but I never send back my food so this is an awful example but something that you know um would usually fill you with kind of anxiety of what the other person's going to think but actually just committing to doing it anyway um it could be something like you know asking a colleague delegating a task to a colleague um it could be it really could be anything and it's it, very subjective what, what's going to be a risk to me and what's going to be a risk to you absolutely and I think taking those little risks and there's a nice little diagram in the book where it shows once you keep taking them and you realize it's okay I, I can actually do this I can handle these and your comfort zone just gets broader and broader and broader um that's just something that came to mind with that question and you can then apply that to your sexual confidence and taking little risks it could be sending a sext it could be take a sexy picture yourself you don't need to send it to anyone you can keep it just for yourself um because it can be intimidating to even do it on your own and not send it to anyone um it, you know it, there's so many tiny little 
challenges just every day just to commit to one um and you will kind of realize that actually over time it'll build your confidence and when it comes to communication again just bit by bit um even practice it might feel weird practice communicating out loud to yourself in your room practice writing down the things you could say we all have our own communication languages you need to find what fits you like we always say during sex some people are really formal and they're like could I please blah 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 and other people go in with the you know full-on like filthy I'm putting in, in inverted commas you know real kind of graphic language and that's fine um so Practice yeah I don't want to talk perfect. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly and I don't want to talk for too long now because yeah. there's loads of questions but yeah I would just yeah. say step by step um Perfect. and it starts with yourself I think and really just getting comfortable with with your language and how you communicate absolutely well Fidelia you see people who yeah. have the issues when the communication just isn't there yes what's that um, like um I will advise that the people try to be authentic genuine like you listen to your feelings it's all about feeling if you are wondering about something name it I am wondering. Don't pretend to be okay when you are not okay. If you are nervous, say, oh my God, I'm really nervous about this. And once you say that, the nervousness starts to dissipate. If you are afraid, say, I, I, I am afraid. If you are excited about something, say you are excited. And in being authentic, you need to be sure that your thoughts match with your words and your expression. There's no point saying, oh, I like it. I can't see any likeness there. Your thoughts are not matching the expression. You need to say, oh, I like it. And then you can see likeness in the expression. So once you learn to be real, be genuine, authentic, everything will be coming naturally to you. If you are not sure, say, oh, I'm not sure about what I'm going to say, or I'm... I think um, I, 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 I might be saying something silly now, but here it is. And then you say it. Once you prep yourself with the real feeling that you have, you're fine. So this is how I coach my clients to come out of being you know, shy and all of that. If you haven't experimented something before, or I haven't done this before, I'm really nervous about it right now, but. I think we should leave it for that down the line. Uh, I'm not in a position to try this now. Do you mind if we take it out of the table? You don't have to do everything just because you want to please somebody. I'm not comfortable. You say it in a nice way, in a very authentic way, your partner will understand you. And once you start doing that, you begin to grow and your confidence begins to um, increase. Mm, baby steps then baby yeah. steps and practice seem to be the, the key components there absolutely and um, we've moved on to the next one and this one was for jay um what's it like dating as a trans person and is there much transphobia and this makes somebody very nervous to try and date so like i think that i think obviously everybody's gonna have really different dating experiences just generally that's that's the norm everybody's looking for something different everybody's a different kind of person it's normal for there to be a lot of variety i think that is also true 
like within the trans community, there's such a variety of different experiences as a trans person. You know, I have a very specific experience, you know, I wanted to medically transition in a certain way. I was able to do so at a young age. So I came into the adult dating world already kind of post-transition. So that's not going to be the same as a lot of other people's experiences. On top of that, I'm also gay. So I'm looking for other men, whereas there's other trans people who are straight, are bi, are all sorts of different sexual orientations. So what your experience is going to be, given that, is going to vary a lot. I know that in my experience, you know, I've had I've had a pretty good run of it. Um, I've been dating my partner for the last two and a half years. And, you know, what I have learned from the experience of meeting my partner and getting into that relationship is that I was carrying this paranoia that I couldn't be masculine enough to be a gay man, that I couldn't be in a relationship with another man and be comfortable and be happy and feel fulfilled because I was so paranoid that I would always just feel like I wasn't a man in the relationship. And I realized meeting my partner and realizing that that wasn't the case, that that was a fear that I had of other people mistreating me, not of how I would feel. And I came to that conclusion of like, as a trans person, if I'm looking for a partner, and this goes really in all elements of life, but especially in romantic and sexual relationships, if I'm looking for a partner, they need to be respectful of me. They need to understand me. They need to see me for the kind of person that I am. And it was very important and meaningful for me, for, for me to have somebody who did that. Now, obviously my partner did, otherwise we wouldn't still be together two and a half years later. Um, but like, I think that's one of the biggest things for trans people to kind of learn that like if you're worried about not being respected whether that's because you think somebody will invalidate you whether because you think somebody is going to fetishize you because those are two very different ends of the scale that both both are an experience that trans people end up having you deserve to be respected to be validated to be seen as the person that you are in your relationship and if somebody doesn't treat you like that that's their responsibility not your own and if they don't see you for you then that's not a good fit you know mm, absolutely and hopefully they get the transphobia out of the way early because then that's just a sign that person's an absolute asshole so you don't have to waste your time yeah. with them so um yeah but there's more we can say about that but i'll try not to swear um just yet so um we'll come back to that but yeah i think there's um there's a lot in that as well you know absolutely um i want to go to nicola next and this is someone who'd said um that she listened to the episode that we did before um, and she couldn't get over how some men just don't see an issue with sending dick pics and they asked how is this possible? I know there's a massive disconnect between how women and how men perceive dick pics uh, massive there's just no connection and understanding there um, so until recently we, we could only really kind of guess at why men were sending them and you know there were some theories that it was like flashing and some that it was just exhibitionism and some that it was misguided um, but there's two recent studies looking at this and they looked at kind of younger men so like late teens early 20s and what they found was that most men think that this is a successful mating strategy believe it or not um, so like, they think they that women will be to anything out there in the world. <laughs> like... I, I'll talk about that in a second. So they think that we will be excited by it. Um, they think we'll be turned on by it, um, that we might send nudes in return, which of course they would love, um, that we will hook up with them, 
um, go out on a date with them and so on. So they, a lot of them genuinely think that this is possible. A lot of them are aware that it probably won't happen much, but if they send enough, then it might happen. Um, one of the studies talked to young men about women's reaction to it, young women's reactions to them. And the guys were like, yeah, I know they say that they don't like them, but they have to because they'd be slut shamed if they said they like them, but they're actually really excited by it. And I think it's because men would be really excited a lot of the time if we sent them pictures like that. So they can't understand why we wouldn't want to see that. And part of why it's so shocking, like women are shocked by it, they're repulsed. They feel like they're being told they have to laugh it off as part of a joke and stuff. We, we really don't like it. Um, but I think, you know, part of it is that men genuinely would really like to get that from us. But for us, we're going about our day and suddenly this appears out of nowhere. Like even if your partner sent it to you unexpectedly in the middle of the day, you're not in the mood necessarily for sex. You're not thinking about it. You know, you kind of need to be in a, a state of being at least wanting to be aroused to find this stuff attractive. Um, and so it's, it's really problematic when it's out of context from someone you don't know. Um, and it can really feel like an assault. And of course, for people who are victims of previous sexual assaults or anything like that, it can be really problematic because it can re-traumatize people. Um, it feels like such an invasion. So it's a problem. But yeah, and, and you know, within certain contexts in gay dating, like Grindr and stuff, guys will send that to each other. And it's not so much of a problem. Um, a lot of guys are okay with that. So you can kind of see why they might think that we we do like it, but we're just saying we don't, but we really don't. If there's any guys listening, like women do not like this. Oh, very, 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 very few women would respond. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jay, as a, as the gay male representative here, uh, all the pressure is on you here to explain this. <laughs> I mean, as somebody who does not personally have a penis, I don't really know either. Um I would also fall into the camp of like a random dick pic wouldn't really be my thing, wouldn't be super keen. Um, but I think that especially like on like the gay end of the scale, part of it comes with the context of something like Grindr. Grindr is so explicitly sexual um, for most people. They go on to Grindr not thinking they're going to get a date generally. They go on to Grindr thinking that they're looking for sex or looking for something sexual, even if they don't get it. Uh, that's kind of the idea. Uh, and I think that that can kind of come with the territory that because it's seen as such a particularly sexual place that, oh, then the dick pics are fine. Whereas like, I, like I said, I'm not massively experienced because I haven't been in a relationship for the last two and a half years, but I certainly never saw any dick pics when I was on Tinder. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think there's something else interesting that happened. Somebody put in the chat, you know, I'm not sure how men don't understand that it's like digital flashing. Um, flashing isn't really about sex. Flashing is about control. It's a bit like rape or other sexual assault. It's about control and dominance and, and other things. It's not really about sex. Um, and there's a small percentage of men, about 10% of men that send dick pics for that reason. So they're trying to control the emotions of their victim. They're trying to shock them, make them angry, make them upset. Um, it is a smaller percentage. Most men aren't doing it for that. They, they think we like it. But this smaller percentage are doing it for more malevolent reasons. Um, so yeah, there's that as well. So that is quite like digital flashing. And it's important to name that as part of the spectrum of sexual violence. You know, if you're using sex to cause hurt and trauma to someone, that is sexual violence. So yeah. um, we'll come back to penises later um, and in a maybe slightly less, <laughs> less depressing kind of sense. Um, I had one question here and it was, um, 
it's from a, a person who is around 20-ish. Um, I feel like there is a lot of pressure for young girls to have sex and to not be a virgin. How do I get more comfortable with not having sex right now and waiting to wait until I am a bit older? And they know a few people who are this similar kind of situation. And actually, I've gotten this question a few times in some of the college workshops I've done. There seems to be enormous pressure for like hookup culture and like one night stand is is no big deal you know everyone kind of do it and that's the way some people are losing their virginity now and you're kind of viewed as weird in inverted commas if that's not what you don't want to do so Grace I might go to you on on that one there yeah um I think I totally hear that pressure I mean I'd say it absolutely is there um and I think the first thing as well is that, you know, because I work with a lot of young people in, in my separate sex education role that and research kind of backs this up that although I obviously having sex is completely natural and normal, um, there's a lot of people saying they're doing stuff when they're not um, as young people. You know, there is a lot of exaggeration going on. Let's be real. Um, so just keep that in mind, first of all, that, you know, you might be kind of comparing yourself to something that's that's maybe not as prevalent as it as it really is and you know just because people are having loads of sex and hooking up it doesn't mean they're having wonderful pleasurable fully consensual sexual experiences I I hope they are I wish they are but I know again from research a lot of them probably so certainly some of them probably are not um it's a tricky one to be honest because it's again it's it's that kind of thing that I feel even just getting personal for a minute it's something that just I had to learn as I grew up it was just kind of a part of I mean it's difficult like I'm not going to minimize it you you want to fit in um and you and, and you but you want to stay true to yourself and it's it does get easier um I think I would just like obviously if you're surrounded by people who are directly putting pressure on you you know if they're making comments if they're being you know there's so many ways that this trying to push you with people on nights out or whatever it is like just learning I suppose to set your boundaries very clearly because it can be your friends that are doing this and again they might it is like it's not good behavior but they might not realize actually how how horrible it is because that's something to do with them you know if someone's pressuring you to do something it's not about you it's it's about them projecting something onto you um and look, I know I can say all this and it's hard to put it into action in real life. But all I can say is to try and surround yourself with people who who just won't do that, who will give you the respect and your boundaries that respect, um, which is really what we should all be, I suppose, striving for in our relationships as much as we can, not just our intimate relationships, just in general. And I think as well, maybe just finding I always try and recommend if you do use social media, it can be used for good sometimes to find people that talk about this stuff. Um, you know, follow sex educators, follow sex therapists on online because there's so much content out there about this, about pressure and about being true to yourself. So it can be good to flood your feed with that that real positive stuff because we know there's so much sexy hookup porny stuff out there. So just uh, kind of... um. What's like like an antidote to that nearly um yeah absolutely yeah well, what about you Fidelia do you see people in sex therapy who are coming in and maybe like they're they're getting to an older age and they're like oh am I unusual is there something wrong with me if I haven't had sex yet or how do I like Grace was saying like set those boundaries and, and resist that peer pressure to have sex as well 
Yeah, um, I find this um, common among some young people who are um, into religion, kind of. They just want to remain that way. They don't want to engage in sex until they get married. Some of them, somewhere along the line, some get raped and they really, really um, don't take it lightly. But what I will be advising is that if something is valuable to you, very valuable, something you treasure, you kind of protect it from the eyes of the other people who might want to snatch it. That is, avoid telling everybody that you are a virgin because they may want to bring you down. They may want you to be this virgin just like themselves. Keep it to yourself like a little secret Make sure you have your boundaries. Ensure that you listen to your gut feelings when you are in a situation. If you feel, how oh, this is not safe, this is getting funny, get up and leave. Because there you'll be convinced your best friend can even say there's nothing to it. Just go on, la, 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 la. And before you know it, it's gone and it's gone. So I will, I will advise people to hold on strongly to their values if it means something to them. If you want to have sex, it's your choice. If you want to keep it, then by all means, feel free. And if you are attending a party, ensure that you have made arrangements. It's a plan for somebody that you can call on at any time to come and pick you up. If you see that things are taking a bad turn, bring that person and say, please, could you come and get me now? and you get out of that place. So don't pretend as if I can handle this and you remain there. You cannot handle it. Respect your gut feelings. Mm. So I think this is the little advice I, I have for yeah. that person. That gut feeling is, that's where it's at, you know, and, and that's that's our little security system telling us, you know, to keep yourself safe. Um, well, I'll actually go to Jay as well on that. Like you're, you're just finishing up in college. So you'd assume there's a lot of pressure in, in college parties and, and things like that. Like, are we still in that zone where it's like you got, you got to have as much sex as you possibly can before the real world? I'm going to make the disclaimer that I'm not a party animal. Uh, I never was. And I did spend half my college degree in my bedroom. So keep that in mind. Um, I think that one of the things I've noticed, like within like the LGBT community in college, is that there's a very, uh, there's this, there's this mix of people who are kind of very open, very aware about sex, often people who came out younger uh, and have been you know, comfortable with their sexuality for quite a number of years versus people who are only kind of coming out in college and aren't at that same level of comfort yet because they've been kind of keeping this to themselves or because they weren't aware for such a long period of time. And I think that you see kind of a, an unusual kind of melding there in the same group, in the same community, where some people have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, and some people have not a lot of knowledge and not a lot of experience. And I know that what we generally try to do uh, as like a society is to provide information. And I know that that's what other groups in universities tend to do, like different student unions, different societies. We provide information so that students can be knowledgeable, students can be equipped, to make whatever decisions that they want to make. I think that, again, like, especially because my experience is so LGBT, different parts of the community, it varies a lot. You know, there's a different level of pressure, you know, being a gay man versus being, you know, 
being a lesbian, being trans, being anything like all different levels of pressure on people, different expectations on people. But at the end of the day, like if there's certainly a there's certainly a level of pressure there, whether people are being directly told you should do this or whether it's just because they're looking around them, they're like, oh, I'm surrounded by people who have done this and they know what they're doing and they know what they're talking about. And I don't. Uh, so that's kind of like why we provide so much education and we try to provide that education so we can bridge the gap so that people aren't in a position where they're feeling like oh I'm out of the loop they can at least know what they need to know so that when they do decide to have sex they can feel comfortable and confident and if they don't want to they can at least feel like they know what they're talking about and they're not just sitting there you know pulling stuff out of their arse for lack of a better term it's a very Irish term, but yeah, that that totally works. Well, I'll go to Nicola next because the next question kind of link. We can kind of link this back in as well. And it was someone said they were sick of dating apps, but um, mm. nervous about in person dating again. And I know there can be a lot of pressure on dating apps to be like, okay, we swiped. Like, when are we hooking up? When are we meeting straight away? Um, or people are a bit longer, or whatever. But like that nervous and anxietyness, and like using dating apps where are we on that at the moment just hopefully about to come out of lockdown and like there may be lots of pressure to be like make up for lost time which might impact the person that we're you know sent in this kind of question um yeah where where are we on that um so there's a few things there so I'll I'll kind of do the linking bit first um about the kind of pressure to have sex and that feeling um, so one of the interesting things on dating apps is a few researchers have looked at ways to kind of make create better conversations between people so they get to know each other better before they actually meet. Um, and the unintended result, but not entirely unexpected result of one of those experiments was they got people to discuss a topic and either agree or disagree, but see if they could come to an agreement. And men interpreted women agreeing with them as a sign that they basically wanted to have sex with them. So they took it as a sign that I'm into you, I wanna meet up with you and we're probably going to have sex. So men overinterpret any positive encouragement as wanting to have sex. And women underinterpret men's response to them. So when men are flirting with them, they often won't even notice it or are unsure whether it's happening. Um, so that can also contribute to the feeling of, of feeling pressured because men have interpreted you actually swiping on them and matching and having conversation as a willingness to want to have sex sometimes. Um, so that can be a bit of a problem and it can kind of exacerbate that effect. And I think even when you look at research around sexting, only about say 25% of young adults are sexting, but there is a perception that everybody is. Um, and it's the same with sex. Like everybody's not actually having sex. It's like uh, Grace said. So I think that's a misconception where you feel like everybody's doing it and it's not, not actually happening. Um, with the move from online dating back to the real world of dating, it's a really interesting one. So I interviewed people about online dating during lockdowns in the first lockdown. And then I kind of did follow-up surveys with them around like August, September. And Initially, people were quite, some people were quite enjoying it and finding that it was refreshing and different. They got to have better conversations with people because, you know, people had to step up and have conversations and they were quite enjoying that. And some people had formed connections with someone that they thought might turn into something quite interesting. Um, and most of those didn't turn into something on the follow up. 
Um, because what happens is when you talk to somebody online a lot and then meet in person, you've kind of built up this fantasy in your head and they don't match that. And the longer it goes on, the more that happens. Um, but what was also interesting was that a lot of the people I talked to were finding it all very frustrating because they'd chat to somebody and normally they'd meet them pretty quickly and that couldn't happen. And so they were kind of parking people. And that was the phrase that somebody used. It was kind of like, okay, well, we get along grand. Let's see what happens when things open up. I'll come back to you. Um, because otherwise you're having a conversation for months with someone that you might not even like when you actually meet in person. So it's really difficult. And I think a lot of people got frustrated. I mean, people get really frustrated with online dating anyway. They tend to go in and out of it because um, it's not always fun. Um, sometimes it can be, sometimes you can use it for entertainment and to boost your confidence, but a lot of the time it gets quite frustrating. It can raise people's anxiety. Um, and so I think that's a very common experience. So maybe there's a perception that everyone's loving online dating, that that's not really the case. Um, but it can be maybe a useful way to start thinking about moving back into dating and start chatting with people about what people are comfortable with moving into online dating. And social distancing is may be quite useful for moving back into online dating if you're feeling uncertain of it because you can meet in a park there's no expectation well there might be an expectation but you can kind of check that beforehand to see if someone's on the same page as you to make sure that they want to social distance and that they don't want to hook up and break the rules um but that's a good way of checking that someone's on the same page as you um and then a socially distanced date knowing that that's going to be the case there's very little pressure in that you can have a coffee in a park and it's kind of chilled and you know what the lines are beforehand. So I think that allows a certain amount of getting used to dating again, maybe. Um, and it would usually be during the day. So it's kind of low pressure and it's outdoors. So if the weather's bad, you can leave really quickly. <laughs> like there's good reasons to get out of it if you need to. Um, so I think that might be kind of useful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also like less like dressing up or I, I've just gotten super lazy during lockdown anyway. I'm like, I don't have to wear stilettos. That'd be great. You know, happy days. Um, we'll move on to the next question. It's kind of linked as well. Like the last time we did this panel, we got a lot of questions about sex and anxiety and a lot of people are very very anxious about sex um, and dating at the moment and this came through with some of the questions we got in as well um, this one was more for Fidelia and it was more about um, when it comes down to the actual sex part um, body parts just not doing what they want to do um, we got some in from men who were losing erections um, or worried about not lasting very long um, and I think that's, that's a fairly common anxiety I think for, for people um, with, the, with a wonderful penis to, to have so what are your thoughts on that? Um, if you are struggling with um, erectile dysfunction I think um, usually we would um, like to recommend a program called the Sensate Focus. Um, during this time, you are not under pressure to have sex. Knowing that sex is not going to happen helps you to reduce your anxiety. And then you begin to trust body contact again. You begin to tolerate pleasure without being thrown overboard and, you know, how am I going to get in now and all of that. So I think essentially that issue of not getting it up has to do with um, anxiety. Similarly, if you are coming too soon, like what the, some people get called one minute nigger. 
<laughs> like like what I've had growing up. I Some people will say, that one. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the one using the word nigger, but it, it's not me. That's the way the, the, it, it came to my ears growing up, you know. Okay, okay. I often hear people saying that guy is a one minute nigger, which means, you know, it doesn't last more than one minute, stuff like that. So when they want to describe stuff like, you know, a premature ejaculation, they use such words back home where I, I, I grew. So it's a common issue for some people. Sometimes it happens because of how you became um, socialized into having sex. Maybe you used to have sex in a hurry growing up. You don't want to be caught and everything. And the, this anxiety, you quickly get in and jump out and it becomes a pattern. And then sometimes maybe your first few attempts were not successful. Maybe you couldn't satisfy your partner. They called you names. And then when you want to you have another opportunity, you want to do very well. And that anxiety builds up. Once there's anxiety, performance is down. When anxiety is up, performance is bound to be low. So a lot of things happen during that time. But when you commence your, your, your sex therapy, which is the behavioral aspect of psychosexual therapy, essentially you need to do both. The full therapy is called psychosexual therapy. In this therapy, you will be helped with, I mean, issues that underline this situation, this condition will be, will be identified and treated. And also the condition itself will be treated and whatever it is that is um, making it not to go away will also be identified and treated. So it's both behavioral and therapeutic treatment that is required. That is why we call it psychosexual therapy, psychology, and also the physical behavioral therapy. So it does have treatment and people should not um, be ashamed to come out to get help. It does Absolutely. take a little while, but there's obviously help for such problems. Yeah, and we'd, we'd seek help if, like, we broke a finger. So if our genitals <laughs> aren't doing what we'd like them to do, we can also seek help for, for that yeah. too. But like exactly. you said, yeah, like the, the mental health aspects of it as well are really mm-hmm. um, important. And then I got, I got ones in for you, Grace. Um, they'd seen that you'd done um, the post about the vagin, vaginismus. Um, and how do you know if that's what is actually going on with you? Because I suppose there's... A, you have vagina there can be a good few things going on um with your vagina but again um you know how, how do you know how do, how do you get to that point um well yeah I've, I've talked about my experience of vaginismus very openly it's something I had for eight years well probably technically like 20 years but I was only aware of it for eight years if that makes sense um and it, it's it's kind of so okay so just for people that might not know um vaginismus is a condition where uh the vaginal muscles uh which are quite strong um contract involuntarily so you don't want them to but they contract um and this can make penetration so putting something inside the vagina either painful uncomfortable or impossible um so for example for me it was it was impossible um for a long 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 time whereas for other people they might get um just a discomfort or sometimes even a burning feeling um and you know it is difficult because 
there's some someone could have vaginismus but it could be you know you kind of have to rule out other conditions as well so say if they were you know getting that burning or sting sensation you know that's associated with a lot of stis for example um so how do you know if you have it a lot of people do self-diagnose uh with vaginismus and um you know I suppose I, medical professionals are probably very much against self-diagnosis and I can understand that. But sometimes if you are not being heard, um, which is something, again, I've talked about a lot by by GPs, etc. And sometimes you might feel you have to. Um, I would say you could if, if you have a GP that you feel you have quite a good relationship or that you trust um, that you think will be sensitive. Um, again, you can never know, will they be, but usually you kind of have a fair enough idea. Um, you could start there and just talk to them about it. You can also go to like a pelvic health physio, someone sometimes called women's health physio, but obviously it's not just women who have vaginas, etc. cetera. Um, and also psychosexual therapy um, is fantastic for talking about the, the kind of, the psychological part of it. One thing I will say is that, you know, you might never find out why you have vaginismus and that's okay. Um, Sometimes you will find out, but it could take a lot of, I mean, it took me years to kind of, and I can't say for sure I figured it out, but I have a, I have a good theory of, of why it happened for me. Um, Whereas some people kind of know it could be related to trauma, it could be related to assault or childbirth or something very physical that that happened. And of course, psychological, sorry, it's obviously not just physical trauma. Um, So yeah, so again, I'm not a medical professional, so I can't really give you a very strict list of criteria and this is how you have it. But um, from from my work with women with vaginismus and people with vaginismus, sometimes they they kind of figure it out themselves they go to the professional they say I think I have vaginismus and then it's usually confirmed then yeah that makes sense and there's it's good that we do live in a world where there's lots of um support networks and like I said social media and and things like that are great so um and there was also an episode of Glow West a good few months ago now um with the Vaginisis Network and they're really great so yeah you know absolutely anybody reach out um when it comes to stuff like that but again yeah like like with everything with sex you're not alone you know if, if someone else has experienced it you know you're, you're definitely never alone with it um there's a comment there as well going back to the previous conversation about um erectile dysfunction and as a person that was socialized as a man i definitely feel that erectile dysfunction issues are related to the toxic masculine rank- ranking of sex that if a man does not orgasm then sex has not occurred and i, I definitely think yeah that's a fair point i think there's a lot in that about defining what sex is and sometimes we aren't good at that and we kind of think sex is um in penis entering a vagina and then one party or hopefully two has an orgasm and then that's it and it's like well sex is a lot more than that you know like let's let's expand this this definition out to the wonderful and weird world of sex where there's literally something um for absolutely everybody but jay i'll go to you on that one do you think that kind of toxic masculinity and stuff like that how is that in um lgbt culture at the moment um is sex the definition of sex a bit more broad or is it still as you know basically coming down to penetration i think that like again the LGBT community is so big, it's so diverse, it's so broad that like 
the corner that I'm in could be very different to the other corners. Um, and this could be an infinite cornered shape, frankly. Uh, so who's to say? Um, I would certainly say that like, when it comes to the toxic masculinity end of things, there's certainly a lot to be said for how uh, like men who have sex with men and trans men can get wrapped up in toxic masculinity. You know, like there's this feeling of for for both groups in very different ways um you know the world around you tries to emasculate you you know we see gay men and bi men as effeminate as flamboyant as you know pansies and stuff like that we have that kind of attitude towards gay men and queer men and then we see trans men as women we don't see them as legitimate men because they've been assigned female at birth. So you end up in this position where you want your masculinity back. Not everybody does, obviously. Some people are happy to be feminine, happy to be flamboyant. But for some guys, they have this desire to hold on to their masculinity. And that's understandable. You want what's yours. You know, if that's who you are, then that's what you want. Um, like, I know that I'm not the most hyper-masculine person in the world, but I would be uncomfortable if somebody tried to diminish or demean my masculinity as it is today. Um, and I think in that, you know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in toxic masculinity to make yourself feel better and to compensate for what's kind of taken from you. And at the end of the day, it ends up not being productive. It's not helping because you're you're going too far into a field that kind of ends up hurting you. It ends up biting you in the ass, really, um, because you end up in a position where you buy into this toxic masculinity and you 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 buy into all the bad stuff. So you buy into the misogyny of it. You buy into the like lack of like emotional awareness of it. You buy into the kind of not taking care of your well-being, not talking about your feelings and stuff like that, which is so necessary. And a lot of the time, especially I think for uh, gay men, you buy into this like um, hyper-focus on your body and on your appearance and on looking hyper-masculine, on being buff and ripped and all that kind of thing. When like, it's okay to be masculine in other ways. It's okay to be masculine in a different kind of way. Like I said, I'm not super hyper-masculine. I have my own level of masculinity. I have my own kind of masculinity where I try to remain kind of aware of my emotions, try to stay in touch with those things, try to stay away from those toxic elements of masculinity because they're not going to help me. They're not going to serve me. They're not going to make my life better. They're not going to make anybody's lives around me any better either. And um, so it's better to kind of own your own kind of masculinity. And then like, I guess in terms of like types of sex, trans community a lot more open-ended on that scale i i can't speak for the cis people um but i can speak for the trans people and there's definitely more of an awareness to the fact that like because for different people with different like bodies with different surgeries with different experiences with different levels of comfort and discomfort with different parts of their body sex has to look different sometimes you know it can't always be you know the traditional penis and vagina ghetto. That doesn't work for everyone, depending on what they're comfortable with, what their body looks like. It's just not going to work. And I think in that, you know, there's an awareness that sex can be different. Sex doesn't have to be just this and that, and that's nothing else. And I think that that's kind of a real positive and a real, like, beautiful thing that we can bring to the table as a trans community, saying, like, well, look at all the different ways we've come up with. <laughs> 
look at all the new things we came up with guys you know let's share let's come up with let's talk <laughs> yeah. very creative uh, communities, yeah definitely yeah well I want to go to Fidelia on that as well like do you see that a lot in the therapist office of people who are just so caught up in that that it's stopping yeah. them actually enjoying sex yes um sometimes um people come because they don't have an orgasm when they have sex and all of that. Um, orgasm is not the beat all and, and it's all when sex is concerned. You can actually make love and enjoy it without even having penetrating sex, not to talk about orgasm. You can have orgasm without, you know, having penetrative sex, vice versa. So, what I often say to people is that sex is something that you do with an intimate partner so long as it is safe and healthy. Some people can just do masturbation and say they've had sex. Some people can just spend time in the arms of their partner, in the bosom of their partner, depending on their condition. Maybe there's a disability or something. For them, that is the way of getting pleasure. They're, they're having sex. So it is not every time that you talk about sex that it has to be intercourse, it has to be penetrative sex. And then again, in relation to orgasm, orgasm is not something that you set out to say, because we want to have sex, therefore orgasm is going to be the ultimate. It's like trying to catch a butterfly, the way I describe it to my clients. If you're going towards a butterfly with full force, it will escape. You can't catch it. It goes further and you run further. It goes further. You keep chasing and you never catch that butterfly. But if you do stay in the moment, what is my partner doing to me? How am I feeling? It has to do, do with sensuality and sexuality. I feel sensual. Oh, I have feelings here. I like, oh, my, my boobs is saying, touch me. Could you touch my boobs, please? Uh, could you do the, I'm listening to myself. I am not just having sex in my head. I'm listening to my body. My body speaks. I want you to massage my vulva. I want you to touch here. I want you to, I lead my partner to go around with me because I am in the moment. I'm in the here and now. I am not just interested in orgasm. I'm interested in what are you doing to me now? How am I feeling now? How much more do I want? How much less do I want? And then gradually as you go slowly, slowly towards the butterfly, you catch it. That is orgasm. I am obsessed with that analogy. That is fantastic. I'm just picturing you going along with a little butterfly net. Just trying to catch so true. it. Oh my God, they're flighty little things. Like they really are. But I just, that's a, a super, that is literally a perfect analogy of like, they'll fly away. You gotta, you gotta sneak up unawares of them sometimes. So um, fantastic. That is absolutely brilliant. Um, I want to go back to, um, going back into getting into new kind of relationships so this question came in was um someone is kind of curious about trying out being poly they don't know much about it but it sounds interesting is it actually practical um now this is my husband's joke that he could not be bothered with being poly because not not because of like other other people or anything he's like because then he'd have to manage google spreadsheets and calendars and stuff so i'm like so what you're saying is you're just lazy and he's like yep <laughs> and it's like 
Okay, that's a thing. Um, that's his, his little one one joke that he has. Um, but uh, being Polly, do you think people after a year in lockdown will be like, let's try all these new different types? Because there's not just Polly. There's open. There's swingers. There's there's and there's so many different ways to be Polly as well. It doesn't just mean one thing. Um, Nicola, what do you think? Is this are you seeing this on dating apps? Are you seeing people? Um, you know, going, give it, give me, give me all of it. I want to make up for last time. I haven't seen it. Um, it certainly didn't come up at all in the interviews that I did. Um, and unsurprisingly, there's very little research on this. So, you know, unsurprisingly, most of the research is on heterosexual, cis, white people. Um, there's, there's even very little research on online dating with people of color, with trans people, with um, lesbian and gay people. There's more research on gay men, but it's mostly around like sexual risk. It's not actually on how they're dating and their experiences of it and like what they get out of it and why they're doing it. Um, and it's, there's practically nothing on people who are bi. So I've seen nothing on poly people using online dating. And I mean, I look at all the online dating research. So if there was something, I'd have probably come across it. Um, but I think there's probably specialized sites um, where people can find like-minded people. Um, I think they're maybe not using online dating. I don't really know because there's no research and it's not something I've come across in my own interviews at all. Um, so yeah, I, we don't know. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> I think it might be maybe a, a more American like America has the, the hashtag open app which is for poly people I don't think that's really an Irish thing really as such I don't know if it's even here but um, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think Grace do you see that more in, in your kind of work people are more open now to different kinds of relationship structures yeah I do think there's definitely more openness but I I, I think it's because like I think polyamory is is wonderful and you know I follow a lot of accounts again on Instagram that are you know not promoting it that's not the right word um you know just um sharing their stories and and etc um I do think there's still see sometimes I always say you know as a sex educator I'm in this lovely kind of liberal bubble sometimes and I'm surrounded by all these people really open-minded conversations about about um about sex relationships and then you know sometimes you have to step outside that bubble because that's life and I kind of suddenly I'm right back to that nah that could never work like that's ridiculous sure how could my how could you be dealing with your boyfriend having sex with that and you know it, it goes straight to the sex it's always I, I find it's always about the the idea that people really center in on is, is their partner um having another kind of intimate partner um and then funny enough on the flip side of that I think people in my experience they tend to be more open to the idea of say things like threesomes and like uh I know again there's so many different ways to have kind of an open relationship etc but um more open to yeah kind of threesomes and um that kind of casual aspect rather than actually having you know a, a more committed uh, sexual or romantic partner um so to be honest you know what it, it's something I'd like to learn more about I I'm definitely not an authority on it I, I don't know enough even about I'm still learning about polyamory um so it's weird I think people in a way yes are more open but I definitely don't think we're at the point where it's accepted the way monogamy is accepted um you know hopefully someday we'll get there but I think we've a bit to go when again when I step outside that bubble I think it's 
Yeah, no, for sure. There's that the, the prioritization of monogamy is definitely there in, in Irish society. Jay, what about yourself? Have you seen that in, in your circles? Yeah, like I definitely think to at least some extent, uh, anecdotally, it's a little more common among LGBT people. Like I've certainly, you know, in the seven years that I have been out as a trans person and living a queer life from a teenager into an adult, I have known several people who have been in polyamorous relationships. And I think that while it's definitely more common among LGBT people, it's still not like, you know, the norm, let's say. It's still not super like normal that everybody is doing it and it's completely like expected, Um, but it's certainly more common. And I think that like what I've taken away from it as somebody who previously had like very little knowledge at all about polyamory or anything of the sort is that even if you end up deciding that it's not something you want to do or that different kinds of relationship types uh, don't suit you, there's so much to learn about how to have relationships from those. Like I recently watched a podcast episode um, in which (laughs) well-known drag queen, Bob the Drag Queen, talks to um, his boyfriend's girlfriend for like an hour and it's a really interesting conversation that they have as two people who are on different parts of this polyamorous relationship and about the idea of you know what we want what other people want what we can control what we can uh, set boundaries about and how that kind of stuff works and I think that it's just so interesting because you know like you're saying with the the spreadsheets and the calendars because there might be a little extra layer of like organizing and managing having more close partners it does mean that people communicate a lot and they know a lot about communicating and then when you hear them talk about it you're like wow I never would have thought about things that way before and that's a really interesting perspective to then even if you don't end up going into some kind of polyamorous relationship, integrating into your own life, even not necessarily just in your romantic relationships, but just generally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a comment there. Um, in Ireland, okay, Cupid is best for polyam people, as you can specify that you are searching only for non-monogamous people. But in general, online dating is hard as a polyam person, as less matches. It's also quite disheartening at times as people think they can date you and dump you once they find their ideal partners and apologies for the long rant. Yeah, I think that's that that can be a common thing as well. Um, so yeah, rant absolutely justified. Um, I have one question coming in on the Q&A here as well, and I'll throw this open to whoever wants to answer it there. Um, this is from someone who says, I'm the proud parent of a very curious bisexual 13 year old girl. I'm trying to navigate um, appropriate conversations with her around sex and sexuality. What tips would the panel have on talking about sex with her age group to destigmatize sex and sexuality? But again, how to keep it age appropriate. So a 13 year old bisexual girl um, who wants to take that question? Don't all run at I, once. <laughs> I, I can get the ball rolling on it. Um, uh, I would say, you know what, <laughs> with the age appropriateness, okay, it's so, I believe in my work and this is what I've learned, it is very subjective. What is appropriate to one child or teenager might not be appropriate to another. You know, it depends where they're at. Um, also, well done to this parent. Like, I'm delighted to hear of parents actually tackling, tackling, that's an awful word, um, addressing these conversations and having them. So go you. Um, 
So I, I honestly, and I know this sounds easy, but don't get too tied up in what is age appropriate and what isn't. I highly doubt you're going to say anything that's going to traumatize her. Genuinely, I say that from a place of, because of, parents are terrified of saying the wrong thing or, or giving them too much information. And what you'll find actually with, I think, that age group is a lot of the time, they take what they need and the stuff that might be a bit too advanced often goes over their head. Um, now, of course, sometimes that does not, but actually it, and it's, I'm not going to go into the psychology of it, but I remember reading about it before that it is kind of our brain does that. It's kind of, I won't say boredom, but it's kind of that thing of, of, of taking the information you need and some of it will just kind of, you know, it, it, it will, um, yeah, again, go over her head. So I would say, as you said, because uh, I think she said she's conversations plural. That's it. It's it's little talks. It's not one big talk. Um, grab those teaching moments where they come up. It could be a song lyric because there's loads of them out there that, you know, are very sexual. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's um, I think it's another thing. Parents are struggling with the bit, the, the, the kind of the graphicness sometimes of songs, of music videos. It could be something on TV. It could be a film. It could, you know, just grab those teaching moments as they come up and have um, ask open ended questions. Um, get a feel for, I think, how much she knows and kind of judge off that. Like when you're talking about stuff like body parts, there's no age appropriate. Like there's you can talk about vulvas and penises with a child of any age. You really can. I promise you, you can. Um, and I know it, it can be kind of worrying again that oh god is she I know parents are sometimes like what if I teach them this and they go and tell this to all their friends and then their friends tell their parents and then oh I'm the parent that talks about sex that's okay be the parent that talks about sex like good for you um so yeah I'm going on and on now but I'm I just think even the intent to be having those conversations is half the battle please don't get tied up in you know is talking about this that um like as a 13 year old I'm, I'm going to guess she might have a smartphone um, and I'm not saying she does anything online, but we know from research, like an awful lot of children that age are being exposed either intentionally or non-intentionally to pornography. And I strongly believe, you know, sex education and these conversations about sex should be just as like accessible as clicking into whatever porn site or even a Netflix show. So, you know, yeah, just just don't worry, please, too much about being age appropriate because kids, they're growing up a lot faster these days. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but they're being exposed to a lot more. So, yeah, you're sure. doing a great job already by even um, facilitating these conversations. Absolutely. So I'll pass it over now. Yeah. And a great, great resource is Sarah Sproul, who has been on the podcast yeah. as well. And her last name is S-P-R-O-U-L-E. Um, you can find her online as well. Um, Fidelia, I want to go to you, though, on that. Do people come and um, with anxiety around how to talk to their kids about sex as well? Yeah, I always say to parents that um, sex is not a secret. It is just something that you do in private. So if you think sex is a secret and you don't want to mention it, I've had a lot of experiences where adults cannot even mention the word vagina or penis. Somebody was reporting uh, in my days of in child protection, wanted to report a suspected abuse to me. The person could not mention what she said the child did. 
he touched her down below. I was like, I can't write down below. It has to be evidence-based. What is down below? Could you please be specific? Uh, it touched um, the holy places. What are the holy places? Um, um, he touched uh, the unmentionable. I said, it has to be mentioned. <laughs> And we went, we went on and on and on. I said, I really cannot write it except you tell me exactly what was touched before she finally said the vagina. So it, it's, it's, it's okay to call the name. Do you call your eye something else? Do you call your mouth something else? It's a name. That is the name. Even if you call it pee-pee, it's referring to the same thing. So why don't you be courageous and tell the child, this is the name, but you don't have to be mentioning it in public. These are your private parts. Nobody is allowed to touch them. They are private to you. You need to look after it. If anybody touches that area, you need to let mommy know. Age appropriate education, it's okay. We keep thinking that, oh, it might be too much for the child, but they know more than you think they know. Sex is in the air. It's on TV. It's, on, it's in the songs that they listen to. It's on adverts. It's on everything. And if you do not teach them age-appropriate, uh, uh, give them age-appropriate information, you keep lying to them, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and they hear from their friend otherwise, or they experiment it and find that it is interesting, there's pleasure, it's pleasurable, they stop trusting you. Some people have grown up with the impression that sex is bad. And even when they have gotten married, it did not leave their head because they were told that sex is bad and it's still bad to them. So how many parents really call their grown-up daughters and say, now do you know that you are old enough, you can have your sexual independence? Nobody does that. They all go out there wanting to be loyal to mommy. It's a psychological thing for some people. They don't know when to forget about what mommy said. Mommy never goes back to say, you know what? I lied to you that time when I told you it was bad. It's really good. It doesn't happen. So we need to learn to give children age-appropriate education. That way they are protected. They are able to say, this is inappropriate. You can't say this, this to me or you can't touch me in this form. But when they don't know, grooming happens. Mm -hmm. I give you chocolate. I touch you. We have a little secret. Don't tell anyone. So we need to stop all of this so that we will give our, education, our children the education and protection that they, that they need. Thank you. I think that's a fantastic point to, to end the evening on and, and just like the sheer power that talking can have is literally life-changing but also life-saving um as well and culture changing also at the same time so um fabulous listen you've all been an absolutely amazing panel I'm going to get you to call out um because we have for the Hanks goodies so I'm going to get you each to pick a, a letter because I tried this last time and then I had to count and I'm not good at math so I'm not doing that tonight um so uh Nicola give me a, a letter of the alphabet there 
F. F. We have. Uh, oh, we have nobody with an F. Um, okay. okay, sorry. This uh, isn't working S. as well as I thought. S. <laughs> S. We have, we do, we have a Sarah. Brilliant. Sarah, drop me a DM and I'll get some wonderful Hank's lube and condoms on their way out to you. Um, the DM is Glow West Podcast. Um, Fab, Fidelia, give me a letter there. Um, I'll say A. A. We've won A, Alexandra. Fantastic. Again, send me a DM. I'll get those goodies in the post to you. Fabulous. Grace. Um, G. Do we have a G? No Gs. Uh, o. Uh, no. Uh, a D. <laughs> D. A D. We have Ds. Um, Davy. Well done. Fab. Um, drop me a DM and you can get your goodies. And then J. Well, I think this is a bit obvious, but Jay. Okay. <laughs> do I have a Jay? I do, Jana. Yay. Brilliant. Um, so again, drop me a DM and you can get them all there. And I'm actually going to give some as well to um, Belle because they asked a few questions as well. So fab. So we're all winners. We're all going to get lubed up and condomed up and uh, have lots of fun that way as well. So all the Jays are awesome. Listen, thanks Mel, um, to everyone for coming along tonight. Thanks to everyone who sent in all the questions. We didn't even get to all of them yet, but that just shows like there's so much information that we need to kind of keep going out there. Um, I'll be back on the 2nd of June with a pride panel. Um, so that will be kind of fun. And then later on in June with a panel just about consent as well. So lots of different people from all over the world for some of those panels as well. So that's kind of fab. Um, thanks, Mel. Let's just do Jay. Where can people find you if they want to stay in touch? Um, my Twitter is currently on private, but it is at jtransboring. I applied for an internship, so I'm hiding. Wise move, wise move. Um, Grace, where can people find you? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, graceallitz.com because um, no one can delete the website, but Instagram can delete my account if they decide to. So um, I am at Ganace Le Grace, which is Irish, Ganace is sex and Irish um, on Instagram. But if you just go to my website, all my LinkedIn, my Instagram, um, my email, everything is there. Fabulous. Fidelia? Um, my website is Clean Page Counseling. Perfect. And Nicola? Um, my website, kind of like Grace, has all the information for everywhere else. So it's the best place to go. So nicolafoxhamilton.com. Perfect. Fabulous. And listen, thanks, Mel, for everyone coming along. Um, I'm hoping to do these fairly regularly. So, you know, feel free to send in your questions and um, we will get asking them because it's kind of fun. And I like being able to give away loop and condoms as well. So that's happy days. Um, thanks, Mel, to Hanks for that. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can pop over to Twitter and Instagram. It's at Glow West Podcast. It's the same for both of those. And you can send me a DM there as well. So have a good evening and we'll see you for a future panel, hopefully very very soon. Bye.